Welcome to Translation Chat, a podcast on Japanese media translation, where your host, Jennifer O'Donnell, that's me, chats with translators and editors in the Japanese to English localization industry about their favorite translations of Japanese media. So today I'm joined by Stephen Meyerink, who's a freelance Japanese to English translator, writer, and author who has also worked on video games, books, albums, manga, and more. He is a massive fan of video game music in terms of both the historical practice and as a listener. He loves cooking and eating, all kinds of food except meatloaf, and he loves Final Fantasy. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and not talk about meatloaf. I don't know why I keep thinking of that. <laughs> the food or the band? I, I have no beef with the band. Oh, wow, that was bad. That was an unintentional pun. I have no beef with the band, <laughs> uh, but the food, the food I have issue with. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so yes, we're not talking about Meatloaf, but we are talking about the localization of Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, uh, so it's 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 one game. It's Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, there's the original 1997 PlayStation version, and then there's Final Fantasy Tactics: The War of the Lions, which is the title for the relocalized PSP port of the game. Okay, so the game was originally released in '97, and then. So was anything else about the game changed, or was it just the localization and then sort of a HD upgrade? Um, there were other things changed. Uh, there was, you know, there was game balancing. There were mechanical things. Uh, there were some new gameplay bugs introduced. They added new classes. They added some new cutscenes. Uh, so it's kind of, it's not quite a definitive version of the game because of the the problems it incorpor- it added. Um, but it was sort of like a, an enhanced version of the game, along with it's it's still the same core game. Um, but they completely rewrote the localization and the original sort of computer-generated cutscenes that are cute in 1998 and very quaint in 2007 were replaced with these sort of stylized animated cutscenes um, that were really, really attractive. Cool. So what is Final Fantasy Tactics for people who have never played the games before or have no idea what they are? So Final Fantasy Tactics is a strategy RPG, uh, so it's turn-based, and it takes place from an isometric perspective, and all you have these cute little character sprites, and they're, you know, talking like Game of Thrones characters about war and social class and all of these other societal ills and magic stones and all the all the Final Fantasy trappings you would expect. Um, and sort of it employs uh, a class system like Final Fantasy V or, you know, some of the later Final Fantasies where there's, like, you know, 20 something odd different classes and you can mix and match them. So you could have your black mage learn how to use knight skills, or you could have, you know, your calculator or arithmetician, like a math class, learn the samurai's ability to like catch a sword in midair. Uh, and that's sort of, from a gameplay perspective, it like allows for that freeform kind of player expression where you can have your characters be whatever you want them to be. Um, and specialize in any way you want them to specialize with, you know, there are certain unique characters too. Um, so that's like the gameplay half of it, and then it's it has one of the more involved stories in the series. Uh, it's it's kind of it's like low-ish fantasy. Uh, there is there are fantastical elements like magic and summons, but it's a little more grounded than say you know Final Fantasy VI, which is all about you know magic and technology and espers and all that. Um, and I think it it comes from Yasumi Matsuno, uh, who has worked on the Tactics Ogre series, has worked on Vagrant Story. Um, and, and so it's sort of a, a quasi-spiritual successor to some of the earlier Tactics Ogre games and Ogre Battle games, and it, it has a lot of the same thematic concerns, and you can really sort of follow the team's interest in, like, different topics uh, from, you know, the Tactics Ogre games to Final Fantasy Tactics. There's a lot of tactics and Final Fantasy in there. 
in, in your description just now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, I think it it can be a challenging game uh, because it's it's very easy to break the game and make it really easy, but it's also very easy to not do that and for the game to be. I I don't use I don't want to use the term hateful, but if you don't do what the game wants you to do at certain points, it will just you know beat you up mercilessly. There are certain <laughs> you know uh, there are certain points in the story where you know you'll get into a fight. And everything is fine, everything is fine, and then you'll get into a fight, and there's suddenly a giant building in the corner, and there are two archers up top, and they can hit you from the whole map, and if you haven't sort of either leveled up enough or haven't picked the right party composition, those two guys will just pick you off until you can get to them, you know, before you can get to them, and uh, that can be frustrating. And then the original version of the game on PlayStation has, like, sequences of fights where, like, it'll force you into four fights in a row, uh, and you can save in the middle of them, but you can't escape. So if you can't win the fight with whatever you have with you, then you kind of are hard locked into this scenario where you can't win the fight and you have to start over. Uh, so oh, no. it definitely has some older game design things going on in it that can kind of rankle, I think, with like modern the modern sensibility of like playability and things like that, and like not putting a player in a position where they might not be able to progress. Oof! Did they fix that in the in the new version? Kinda. <laughs> they so uh if i recall it's it's been a, it's been a little while but i recall before certain those those sequences of battles it will say you're about to face a sequence of battles we recommend saving outside and or creating a separate save so i don't i don't think they necessarily um... changed the structure of the game they just added warnings to remind the player like hey something's coming up and it could be an issue okay that was nice of them yeah no definitely concessions to like playability not concessions but nods to you know being player friendly but today we're talking about the localization for these games. Yeah. Why did you pick these in particular? Or this game in particular? Yeah. Because technically they're two games. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll consider them one game, but the different localizations, I think, are going to... That comparison is what I'm sort of really interested in talking about. Um, so, I you know, I my original thought was I'll pick FF12, but then Wes did FF12 in a great episode. <laughs> go, yes. Fans, go listen to Wes's episode, too. Um and so I actually, I think this one is a little closer to me because this is sort of, this is the game that sort of introduced me to what localization can be. Um, and I think it's because the original translation is very direct um, and it has a lot of outright errors. There's a lot of just straight up, this is not correct. This is not good writing. This is, you know, a mistranslation. You know, the, the character Lich, who is an Earth summon, is translated as Rich in the original. So I used to summon Oof. my buddy Rich to cast some earth spells, you know. Actually it might not be Earth and FF tag, I can't remember. But um but the the new localization in War of the Lions, which is the version on PSP and also on iOS, is completely rewritten. Um and when I was in college I was I was sort of I was interested in Japanese, but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to study. I you know I was majoring in English. And uh with I played War of the Lions and I was so struck by how different it feels tonally from the original version of the game you know it's and to me you know before that point i didn't know a whole lot about translation and localization and so to me i was like oh there's the japanese is this like immutable source text that you know there's one correct way to do it you know there's <laughs> there it's like you know a to b equals this right mm -hmm. and but and i uh, you know i have a few examples you know i'm sure we can talk about later where you see how much characterization is affected and how um my one of my advisor in grad school, Rebecca Copeland, uh, I took a translation seminar with her, and he she made the point that I think 
that a lot of seminars on translation make where you can take one piece of text and put it in a room of 10 translators and you'll have 10 completely different translations. And War of the Lions really sort of awakened me to that fact. And I got, and I was so excited by it because I was like, I already loved Final Fantasy Tactics from when I was a kid. And I hadn't expected this new translation to like change my perception of the game, but it really did. And it really, it really spoke to me on like a characterization level. And it, it showed how, you know, just the simple act of changing a noun can add a completely different flavor to a world and maybe even be truer to what the original creator wanted. Um, Yasumi Matsuno is a big fan of, you know, Western fantasy and things like that. And so there is a lot of inspiration from that in the original that may not be reflected in the Japanese because like Final Fantasy XII, it's kind of written in standard dialect. Uh, it's, you know, it's not, it's not written in a, in a particularly out there way. Um, whereas the English in War of the Lions, like Final Fantasy XII, is much more stylized and medieval, and you know some people call it Shakespearean. I, I don't, I don't know that I go with that, but it is, <laughs> it's like that, you know. Um, and I really loved experiencing that, and it made me excited to learn Japan to study Japanese. And I realized that, like this, you know, when I was studying English and wanting to be a writer, it made me realize that being a translator is being a writer. And that you have such power over how this material appears to the audience and can move them in different ways. And, you know, characters and lines that I loved in one version suddenly were like totally different. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about the big example, which everybody brings up, which there's a line in the beginning of the original game where a character says, tough, don't blame me, blame yourself or God. And that's changed in War of the Lions. And a lot of fans don't like the change. I like the change, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. So the original game came out in 97. Um, and who is credited as the translation for that? So there's no one credited for translation, but and special thanks to Liz Bushhouse for helping me find this. Uh, it's possible that uh, a man named Michael Basket worked on it. He's credited as a product development coordinator, which he was also credited in Final Fantasy VII for the same role. And it seems like he translated Final Fantasy VII, the original PlayStation version. So it seems like he had a hand in it, but also um, I, I've heard rumors that like there were you know English-speaking Japanese folks on staff that also helped with it, uh, or that it was done in a hurry, which is why there were lots of errors. Um, but I think Michael Basket is the individual we would be talking about as the original translator. And then the retranslation a decade later in 2007... That would be, um, so it started with Joe Reeder, who worked on Final Fantasy XII with Alex Smith and Morgan Rushton and the rest of that team. Um, and Joe Reeder knew he was going to be going to work on Final Fantasy XII Revenant Wings. Um, so he brought on Tom Slattery, whose work he liked from uh, another thing they worked on at Square Enix. And together they sort of alternated working on different scenes until Joe had to leave. And uh, there's a great interview on RP Gamer conducted by the late uh, Michael Cunningham, who's a great guy, great interview. Um, that talks about the process of how they they didn't really have to come to a decision on how they were going to write War of the Lions, the tone. By all accounts, it seems like they had in mind a sort of mutual view of how this was going to be when they wrote it. And I think I don't want to I don't want to veer too far off topic here, but I definitely think there was a desire to bring it in line with the quality and the style of Final Fantasy XII, uh, which had come out a few years before, or maybe even a year before. So I think for people who don't necessarily know how the localization history and practice for video games at least worked, is that I think, I, I, and I'm, I think this is a safe guess to make, is that in the 90s, translations tended to be sent out to 
sort of people and then translated without them looking at the game at all. Yeah. But I know Joseph Reader, Joe Reader, and Tom Slatery worked in-house at Square Enix. Yes. So they, they probably had the game in front of them and they were able to see what was happening. Yeah, I definitely think they did. And I think they also had the knowledge. Uh, I, I I don't know for sure that they both played it, but I, I'm, I'm almost positive Tom Slattery had played the original Final Fantasy Tactics. So, you know, at this point, it was sort of a known quantity. The game was already pretty well beloved. And this may have been the phase where Square started transitioning into having, you know, a more structured localization process, because when the original was, was translated, this was those early days. You know, you've heard those stories probably about... Uh, I think when Alex Smith worked on Final Fantasy VIII, it was they had like a VHS tape of the game playthrough that they were <laughs> writing text to, which just sounds, it makes me feel like such a young upstart whippersnapper localizer who gets to have, you know, translation tools and online dictionaries and I can, you know, <laughs> see the text in the build and they're like looking at their VHS tape, scribbling it down on paper and I just have such respect for that process. But yeah, yeah. I, I heard from Richard Honeywood that they would have they faxed the script and would be checking like these long faxes of the text and like circling bugs and text errors in like red pen and then faxing it back for QA to to make changes. (laughs) I think I'm sweating a little bit just hearing that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But and and you know it's 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 amazing that, you know, I, I think you know, to, to be charitable, I think there's sometimes in the gaming community, it can be like, oh, this was such a bad localization back in the day. That was such so terrible. But I, I think it's important to understand the context of that. Yes, um, yes. You know, the it wasn't like these early translators were just like, well, whatever. You know, we, you know, Japanese isn't as much of a thing in the U.S. or, you know, in English-speaking countries, so whatever. It was really, there were so many technical hurdles and, you know, there weren't all these processes and best practices and i mean even something as minor as having to use a paper dictionary you know i have a few paper dictionaries that i use for grammar but 90 percent of the time when i'm looking things up to translate i have six or seven dictionaries i can search all at once just by using the internet and Mm -hmm. that saves hours of time you know i i can't even imagine having to break open six dictionaries six paper dictionaries just to look up a word that I think I already know, but I want to make sure I'm getting, you know, it's not, there's not some use for that word that I don't know. So it's, it's incredible the work they managed back in those days when the tools, the processes, everything were just so much less formed. Yes, that's a really good point. So what is one of the first things you want to talk about in terms of the difference between these two localizations? Well, I think if, if this makes sense to you, uh, I think in terms of translation theory, there's that talk of direct versus dynamic translation. Um, and I don't, I, I, I did not go to school for translation theory. I've just taken some seminars and kind of done reading on my own. But I've talked about Final Fantasy tactics to like students, example, for example. And the thing that I think really is a good underpinning for understanding these two localizations, the errors in the original version aside, is that sort of direct versus dynamic, where is the objective to translate the words or to translate what the words mean. And I think these are just two fantastic examples of that, because the original game, you know, people understood the story, even in the parts where it could get really nonsensical in terms of an individual line, or even be mistranslated. You know, the story was still conveyed, but it felt so different. Versus War of the Lions, where it's not just, oh, I'm understanding this story about 
class and about Ramza and about these magic stones that the, you know, the people who are rich and powerful are hoarding to, you know, do these horrible things in the world. You, the characterization comes across and who these people are comes across more in their words, in the syntax of those words. You can compare two people. You'll have a character who's like of noble upbringing versus a character who's like a lowborn thief. And even the way they speak is different. It's not just necessarily that they're using different words or that one of them is being more crass. Like the speech patterns differ. And so that's that's why I feel like with direct and dynamic, you kind of have a great example of both here. I'll start with uh, the the line that a lot of people know. This is a really popular line. Um, in the original game, at the very beginning of the game, you, you the, the player character Ramza is a part of a mercenary band, and he's at a church protecting uh, a princess. And mercen- people show up t- to kidnap her. And after the first battle, you see somebody leaving with the princess on a chocobo. And it turns out to be Ramza's adoptive brother, Delita, who's the other, the ostensible other protagonist of the game. And as they're leaving, they have these, they have uh, two conversations. And if, is it okay if I sort of just read the lines of those conversations? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So the princess, let go of me, kidnapper, come here, be quiet. Princess, why should I listen to you? Kidnapper, what an annoying princess. Princess is night. Wait, kidnapper, tough. Don't blame us. Blame yourself or God. And that's directed to the Princess's Knight. Princess's Knight. Oh, God. Ramza. Delita? You're alive, Delita? But why are you in Goltana's troops? Why? <laughs> that's the original version. That's the original version. I can version. hear the Japanese in the, in the last sentence. <laughs> right? You really can. And you can also tell from all the, the, the floating ellipses with the question marks. And so that actually is an example of where... The localization is not technically wrong, although there is a there is an error that I am very excited to talk about. Um, so now I'm going to read the version from War of the Lions, which in the original game that cutscene takes place in the in, in in the game engine. In the War of the Lions version, they actually turn it into an animated cutscene with voice acting in the English version. Oh, so, oh. princess, unhand me, kidnapper, this way, be quick, and try making a little less noise. Princess, I'll not take orders from you. Kidnapper, you've quite a mouth on you, princess. And then he punches her. Oh, Kidnapper, <laughs> forgive me. Tis your birth and faith that wrong you, not I. Princess's knight, hold there. Damn! Ramza, is it truly him? Princess's knight, it cannot be. Protagonist, Delita, he lives? But why does he fight under the banner of Duke Goltana? So that's from the War of the Lions version. And there's a few little additions and... The scene is slight is framed slightly different in the cutscene now. It looks like Delita's talking to someone else. But the line in question that I, I, I think is a great example to talk about is the tough don't blame us, blame yourself or God, or in the new version, forgive me, tis your birth and faith that wrong you, not I. Um So the Japanese for that line is Warui na Uramunara Jibunna Kami Samanishtekure. So what he's essentially saying and and forgive me for the rough translation of this, but sorry, if you must blame someone, make it yourself or God. So that's more in keep in line with the the original 97 translation. Right, exactly. So what's so interesting about this line is that there, I, I've seen sort of two debates as to what people prefer about the original line. They like that it's harder in the original. It's sort of a little colder, a little more callous. Tough, don't blame us, blame yourself or God. And I've also seen people who prefer... The actual wording, which is, don't blame us, blame yourself or God, which that is a very strong statement. So 
I, I've always understood why people preferred that version of the line. My thing that comes in is that he says waruina, and the original translates that as tough, which he's mm-hmm. really apologizing. Mm-hmm. He's not being quite as callous. And so I think the War of the Lions line, the forgive me, tis your birth and faith that wrong you, not I, it's a little softer. I agree. And I get the original line is punchier, but I personally feel that the new line is conveying Delita's character a lot more. And is he, he is a sort of cutthroat character. And for those who haven't played the game, forgive the spoilers, the, the context of the story is that Delita has rises up through the ranks through backstabbing and all these things. He's, he's, not, he's common born, but he ends up becoming king and having a huge impact on this major war. And the whole game is sort of framed as a, a look back at history. But it turns out that your character was actually much more involved with what happened, but he's been forgotten because he was branded a heretic by the church and his actions were not supported by like the ruling powers. And so to me, there's a lot more sympathy elicited in that forgive me, tis your birth and faith that wrong you line. And I think it that to me is reading, if we're going back to the direct versus dynamic, that's reading into what Delita is really thinking about. Jibunka kami-sama ni kude. And so... Hate your God, I think, is, is is pretty good if that's what you want, but it is her faith. And I think it just, it conveys a lot more about Delita is, he was quote-unquote lowborn, but he was raised among a family of nobles. So you're getting his sort of character, and you're getting how he was raised along with the actual meaning of the line. And that, and we can go into some other examples there, but that is sort of, to me, that's what the War of the Lions does so strongly, is that those lines, even though they're written differently... They're conveying who the people are, not just through their the meaning of their words, but the way they're saying them, in a way that the original really doesn't do as much. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, as somebody who's never played the games, that line, forgive me, tis your birth and faith that wrong you not I, conveys his motivation as well. Uh, I'm not, un- I didn't understand why they were kidnapping the princess, but in this sentence, it, in the 97 one, but in the War of the Lions translation, I'm getting more of a sense of why he's kidnapping her because she's a princess and it's it's her birth that has wronged her that's why she's in this situation right yeah and that's and that's and that does feed and that's really i think that's so interesting that that's how you read it because the story is really concerned with questions of birth and faith and you know it takes place in the context of this after this very long war and one of the first battles is versus some thieves who have deserted after basically the government failed them. They came back from a war, they had no jobs, they had no money, and they're starving, so they've turned to thievery. And that the opening chapter is sort of a prologue to when the characters are younger, prior to this 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 battle where, you know, the princess gets kidnapped, introducing how your character is a is a highborn person who realizes sort of that there's this class struggle happening and that he wasn't aware of it. After you kill those thieves in the beginning, he's like Oh, why did they why did they fight like this? They could have just had honest jobs. And it's not mm-hmm. that your character that you play as is a cruel person, it's that he's 16 and he doesn't understand that there are these social and political forces that are forcing these people into this. And so I actually do think that like you said that line, you know, tis your birth and faith that wrong you, it introduces some of the core conflicts so much faster. And in such an interesting way to me that, I, you know, I've always preferred the line, even though I get why people don't don't like the new one. It's wordier, too. You know, it's that's one thing that a lot of people who have critiqued the new localization, some people have said it's purple, it's overly florid, it's overly wordy, <laughs> and that, that kind of obfuscates what people are saying. And 
I think that's a really justifiable criticism, even though I think in a world like this, people talking and using more words, that's, you know, wordiness and all of these sort of attentions given to decorum, that's, that is something that high, high class people would do. Mm -hmm. And I think it just, it conveys so much about the characters. And um, if I could bring up another quick example, uh, I'll try to be a little faster with this one. There's in that original fight, there is the thieves that come in. So your characters are students in the military academy and they get sent off to deal with these thieves. So in the original version, the thief, you show up and the thief says, what's this? Just a bunch of kids. What luck? Okay, all we have to do is kill these kids. Then we can escape. Don't worry. We'll kill every one of you. Delita. <laughs> Ramza, watch out. Don't rush them. Ramza, don't patronize me, Delita. I'm also a Beov. Thief, Beov, the Beov family. So you must be cadets from the military academy. Snot-nosed little nobles. Ramza, silence. Surrender or die in obscurity. Okay, that's a great line. Thief. <laughs> what can a bunch of kids like you do? Bunch of spoiled punks like you will never beat us. And then after the fight, Ramza says, why do you continue committing acts like robbery? You wouldn't have died this way if you led an honest life. So that one, I actually think, I don't think there's really any errors in that one. And I, I do think that that's, you know, a pretty solid exchange. But the difference that I love in the War of the Lions version, uh, it starts out the rogue. What have we here? We Moppets, is it? Our lucks went and turned for the better. All right, lads, cut through these ones and we're as good as fled. We'll make quick work of them and don't be leaving no squealers behind, neither. They advance. Delita. Careful, Ramza. Remember, the well-aimed thrust pierces the mail. Ramza, don't patronize me, Delita. We Beolves know our way around a battlefield. Rogue. Beolve, was it? Heir to the noble house Beolve, I'd wager. Looks like we have ourselves some apprentices from the academy. Well, highborn Moppets is still Moppets. Ramza, lay down your arms or die clutching them. None will mourn your passing. Rogue. And you mean to make us do that, then? You're in far over your little heads. The battle ends. Ramza. Honest work would see them die old in bed, yet they choose instead this early grave. Why persist in such folly? Ah, uh, that's so good. <laughs> oh, I agree. I'm, I'm trying not to like nerd out too hard here and get overly excited, but <laughs> it's it's it is wordier, you know. I th I think you can tell it does take longer to get through the conversations, and I think some players, and even some players who do prefer narrative, don't like it when the words take as long to get to the point. But I think you convey so much. Um, and the example I was going to bring up is the rogue when he says, what have we here? We Moppets, is it? Cut through these ones and we're good as fled. They leave out words. They invert their sentence patterns. And then you get that line and then you immediately get Delita's line, the well-aimed thrust pierces the mail. And that's so composed. And that's so, I'm a noble child who was raised in privilege around people who speak quote-unquote proper syntax and grammar and I went to a military academy where that sounds like something he could have heard at the academy. And actually, while listening to you read out the lines, because obviously I think people can't really see the text, um, I was getting a stronger image of what was happening in the scene with the War of the Lions translation, because it might be more wordier, but it feels like it flows better and it paints the picture a lot clearer than the the original one. The what's this? Just a bunch of kids. What luck? Actually, that's another thing is shorter, longer sentences might seem wordier, but short sentences with lots of pauses, what's this? Just a bunch of kids. What luck? Okay, all we have to do is kill these kids. The repetition and the constant pausing also slows readers down. So there might be more words, but I feel like because it flows better, it actually feels faster, at least to me. 
Yeah, that's such an interesting observation. I, I really agree with that. I, I don't know that I, I – I think I think that's a great point, and that's something that I think is a, is a big discussion in localization in general is that Japanese sentence structure. You can really – I think anybody who speaks Japanese or who has done translation work especially can look at those original lines, and you almost know what they said in Japanese. Yes, and yes. Sometimes with a shorter sentence, that can be okay, but especially with the inversion of like subject, verb, object, and things like that, it makes the character sound like they're like rearing up to say something. Like, pizza o taberu no wa ski Like, as for eating pizza, I like it. Versus if I wore of the lions that, oh, you know what I love to eat? Pizza. And I think that that flow really does help make the conversations feel more natural. And I think yes. it, it, it might also... I, I can't speak to this concretely because I don't know the context for the localization of the original game. But like we were talking about earlier, they may not have had the game in front of them. In fact, I would wager that they probably didn't, given there's a lot of context missing. There's a lot of er- a lot of the errors in the game are they clearly couldn't see how many people were on the screen, so there's a a disagreement in the number in like a plurality of something, or you know they couldn't see what a thing actually was, so a word that could be trans interpreted two different ways. They said, oh, this is a book when it's more like this is a dictionary, or that's a bad example. Book instead of a scroll or a tome or something. Right, exactly. And so what I love about the War of the Lions version is that they they clearly, if not had access to seeing it in the game, they had played the game because it was out, it existed, they could easily see what the original lines were, and write for scene flow and not just an individual line. And that's... When I, for example, when I was a first first a translator, I really had a problem looking at the whole scene. Yes, I would translate line by line, and I wouldn't think as much. And this also is something you think about a lot when you start writing for voice: is you remember that you don't have to keep restating the subject. You know, I don't mm-hmm. have to mention the pizza in every single line. As for pizza, I like to eat pizza. Pizza is really tasty. Don't you like pizza, Jen? <laughs> Versus, I love pizza. It's such a great food. Don't you like it too, Jen? And I think that's something that really is showcased in the War of the Lions version, that they were able to carry that longer thread of conversation and run an extended metaphor without constantly saying everything. And I actually think, as as, a, as an example, that first line, what's this, just a bunch of kids, what luck, okay, all we have to do is kill these kids, then we can escape, don't you worry, we'll kill every one of you. The original, <laughs> the new line, I think, just reads a lot more fluidly than that. It does, yes. You know, it, it, it cuts out some of that repetition because, you know, we don't you don't have to repeat it five times. So, yeah, I think that's that's another example of what I love War of the Lions does is that it conveys who the person is in their dialogue in a way that the original occasionally does, but never in the way of like syntax. And, you know, people have compared it to Game of Thrones. And I think maybe that's a good example. But I, I think what's most important is that you get a sense of these characters before they say the information to you. You know, when you meet, there's a character that everybody loves to hate in the original version, and this will actually segue well into the next thing I wanted to talk about. There's a character named Algus, and in the new version, his name is Argath. And you meet him, and he seems okay at first, but you immediately know in the new version that he's noble-born because of how he addresses you and how he talks to you uh, in a way that you don't quite get from the dialogue in the original. I should have grabbed an example of that. But this is a character who is meant to be a foil. He's nobleborn, and unlike yourself, he's really into being nobleborn. And he believes that the nobility are just better people than common folk. And he sort of serves as like an early introduction into these big themes 
and you end up fighting him and he's a total jerk and everyone hates him. I always take his equipment off so that way he gets beaten up in battle. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's it's, – it's such a it, – it's a nebulous thing to describe just how, oh, the way he talks makes me feel a certain way. And that's what War of the Lions can do, in my opinion, better than the original in, in, in having those, those, that syntax and those voices written that way. You love to have a good character you can hate, right? Oh, absolutely. And he's so, <laughs> he's so hateable. Ugh. That actually, that, I think that leads into another example where this is, this is definitely a, a more subjective thing. Um, and I have a, one of my favorite examples from this is the nouns are changed a lot in the new localization. Uh, the original version, first of all, it was styled like the classic Final Fantasies where it's like Fire 1, Fire 2, Fire 3 instead of Fire, Fire, Fire Aga. And, they change certain names. Like there's there's this set of villains who are these they're they're like these hideous monsters based on based on mythology. And in the original, one of them is called Quecklane. Q U E K L A I N, and that's definitely like a a, a transliteration of the katakana because it's Kukulin. Mm-hmm. It's like I think it's I think it's Irish, but it's I, I should have looked. Oh gosh, I should have looked it up. But it's translated into what it, the the mythological reference it's actually meant to be. Versus, you know, they either didn't have the time or the awareness to quickly realize that, oh, this is a reference to Kukulin. Um, and, but then you have other names like Algus to Argath. You have things like that. You have the protagonist's brother, Zalbag. It's Z-A-L-B-A-G. And I think they didn't want to have the word bag in his name. So it's, it's, they still have it, but they added an extra A. It's Z-A-L-B-A-A-G. Zalbag. So mm. you have other things like, calculator a class becomes arithmetician <laughs> i kind of love calculator in a, in, a, in the simplicity of it because it's just math wizard basically and you know they they use math to deal damage on the battlefield and to do a variety of wild effects and they're very very easily broken to make the game super trivial but that i feel like those are such great examples of trying to add a sense of authenticity to the world and uh, a sort of consistency in naming that I think the original game has, like, I think there's a lot of thought in uh, the original meaning the Japanese has in the different names and how people are given these names and what that comes from. And it's interesting because a lot of the changes to that were things that appeared in Final Fantasy Tactics for the first time were then expanded upon in Final Fantasy XII. Like, for example, Kukulin. That's a character mm-hmm. that appears in both as, like, this sort of mythological being. It's a summon, it's a summon monster in Final Fantasy XII, and it's it's kind of a summon monster in tactics. But what happened was when Final Fantasy XII correctly translated those names, then when Final Fantasy Tactics got relocalized, they kind of reverse brought back all of the new translations from Final Fantasy XII. So these changes make it more consistent with the Final Fantasy series in a way that you you know you understand that this is situated in the Final Fantasy canon. And it lets you know more concretely, oh, Kukulin, this is meant to be something that happens in the game world, Ivalice, that happens in both Final Fantasy XII and Final Fantasy Tactics. And so, you know, that that's an area where I think there's a lot of people who are attached to the original versions of the names, particularly Algus. I've heard a lot of people who prefer Algus to Argath. And, you know, I, that's something where I'm like, okay, that's 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 kind of a personal preference thing. But I do think the naming of nouns being consistent is important to creating an overall mm-hmm. tone, you know? Yes. Yeah, legacy terms are so difficult, especially when you have these really early established localizations that have a huge fan base, and then you want to modernize 
I, I don't think we have the issue as translators as much now, but definitely an issue in the 2000s when they wanted to modernize these terms. And it's like, what do you, what legacy terms do you give up in favor of a more natural tone? And what do you maintain? So sort of like in Final Fantasy VII, Barrett, his his name's actually Bullet, but due to a mistranslation of the katakana, he became Barrett. And that has stayed because... Um, because changing that at this point would be would be too disruptive to the fans. Yeah, that's that's a great point to make. And if you look, you know, just changing Aerith's name, two letters in it, still made yes. the fans pretty upset. You know, yes. And and I, you know, I I I'm a I guess because I'm a translator, maybe I don't know. I I just prefer Aerith. But even in my brain, I still I think my brain still says Aerith and then translates it to Aerith when I speak it. So I'm like, ah, Aerith, Aerith. <laughs> But that's that's yeah. such a great example, and I, I think you're right. In the the 2000s, it must have been so difficult to deal with that because you know, like when Final Fantasy VI was relocalized for Game Boy, there were there are a lot of beloved lines in Final Fantasy VI, and there's and some of them aren't always literal translations. Uh, not a line, but there are three enemies that you fight in uh, the character Cyan or Cayenne, which is his, like his Japanese name. Um, he fights three three demons in a dream, and in the original version of the game. Uh, Ted Woolsey named the Mo, Larry, and Curly, <laughs> and I mean I think that's hilarious, but it's maybe be not the right. Uh, you know, uh, this is a ve- I, I'm not here to dunk on Ted Woolsey at all, but I think that's an interesting question of contextually does this work, mm-hmm. and the solution that the Final Fantasy VI on Game Boy Advance in English used was it was kind of a compromise where they didn't use the demons' names in Japanese, which I. Th- I think, uh, I, I blogged about this a long time ago, I think it was three different words for sleep in katakana from different languages, oh, or, wow. d- or dream or something, but in order to sort of nod to that beloved original translation, it became like Moetheus, Larius, and Curlius or something, <laughs> um, which is, that's such an interesting approach, because in a way, you're you're trying to not make it, oh, this is the Three Stooges, but it's obviously still the Three Stooges, but it, it, it could maybe be read as kind of a medium between these are demons who are in a serious moment because this is not a funny sequence this is a a man reliving the deaths of his family and his guilt over it uh so that's an example of i i thought it was such an interesting conclusion they came to 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 use those modified three stooges names because from my view i get the nod i I still think maybe it's not quite the right context for a three stooges reference but (laughs) on the other hand you they wanted to do service to the people who loved the original game and never knew them as, you know, whatever the dream demon names were. Mm-hmm. While also bringing it more in tone with the universe. Right, yeah, definitely. That is a really good point that it's so important to make sure you're... Because everybody, when they talk about game localization, thinks about the the writing and the text and the language. And what they don't think about is the item names and the item descriptions or enemy descriptions and how even that can really add a lot of flavor to the to the lore of the game and the world that, you know, you're you're living in. It makes it feel more real. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I'm actually really glad you brought that up because I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the prose writing because, you know, Final Fantasy, uh, Wes mentioned this in your interview with him, but the, the bestiaries and all of the, like, non-dialogue writing in Final Fantasy XII mm-hmm. in English is very different. It's sort of written in this field guide style in a really fun way that adds a lot of flavor and texture to the world that makes it feel more internally consistent in English in terms of 
this is a sense of place, and you're reading an actual field guide on these monsters versus in the Japanese, where it's still well written. Obviously, it's great. It's great writing, but it's it's written in more of a video gamey format of like this is an enemy. It is a dog. You can fight it with fire. <laughs> yes. Um, and the example I wanted to bring up from Final Fantasy Tactics is the opening. I don't know if you would call it an epigraph, but it's sort of a it's a bit of dialogue that appears in the opening cutscene. And if I might read it real quick. In the original version, it's a warrior takes sword in hand, clasping a gem to his heart. Engraving vanishing memories into the sword, he places finely skill- honed skills into the stone. Spoken from the sword, handed down from the stone. Now the story can be told. Square presents the Zodiac Brave story. And the Lore of the Lions version, sword in hand, a warrior clutches stone to breast. In sword etched he his fading memories. In stone his tempered skill. By sword attested, by stone revealed, their tale can now be told. Ooh, that sends shivers down my spine. <laughs> I, I kind of got goosebumps reading that. I am such a nerd, but I'm glad we both nerded about it together. <laughs> but it, I, I'm, I'm glad you reacted that way because, I mean, I still think the – I actually think the original reads perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's it's a little more concise in the War of the Lions version, and it's it's written as though it's some sort of epic piece of poetry mm-hmm. or, you know, it's it's – this is the Zodiac Brave story because it's it's what that opening sort of bit of text is doing is it's introducing the stones that are very important in the plot where, you know, the, all of these the sort of machinations of the plot are about these stones that have sort of the spirits of these ancient religious figures in them who are like legendary warriors. And so – but it turns out that they're actually all monsters and demons who are like conspiring to run the world and th- that's what is manipulating behind the scenes a lot of these wars and – but I think, to me, when I read that that new version of it, I like I imagine I'm a character in the world, and I've heard that poem, and I'm like, I've heard of the Zodiac Stones. That's they're these legendary, you know, in stone etched he his tempered skill, and it makes it sound so noble, and like these are wonderful things that contain the the power of our heroes. And FF Tactics has a lot of sort of dialogue like that, where you could read like a gazette, or you could read uh, a newspaper article. And in the War of the Lions version, they're all written to be sort of in-universe, in a point in time, in a style of writing that you might have heard from like a newspaper at that time. And I think that's a great example of where, once again, War of the Lions is really attempting to create a sense of place through not just the meaning of the words, or rather through not just the words themselves, but what they mean and how they're conveyed. Mm Mm-hmm. I had a great conversation uh, in another episode for the, from this season with uh, Kaylin Wiley about lawcology. They came up with this term lawcology to kind of describe this type of localization where you you make the text fit in with the universe. And I think that's such a fantastic way to describe it. Oh, I love that. So I encourage everyone to start using this term. <laughs> yes, I'm going to start using it. I'm going to use it to justify things to clients too. Like, <laughs> this is the i translated it this way to fit in with the locology no, the locology oh, I, I but i really do like that and i think that's such a great way to describe this and like final fantasy 12 of course and a lot of other games um final fantasy 14 you know as a great localization and i definitely think that that game is pulling inspiration from the work that was done in final fantasy 12 and final fantasy tactics mm-hmm. not just in terms of gameplay but like in terms of syntax you know final fantasy 14 in english has a set of rules that appear in the lore books that are decided on by the English localization team for how character names are written from every race and from every place that the races are from. 
So, you know, there's there's this running joke that there are the Rogadin characters who are these big beefy characters, and their names often have these sort of swatches of consonants with vowels. So you'll have, like, Blohofswin, and, but they're all consistently named like that because they fit into the Lorcology, because all the Rogadins, this is their naming history. This is what their people name each other. And that's such a great example of that. I And I... I one other quick example I wanted to make, too, uh, about nouns. Uh, there's There are two different orders of knights in the game, and this is sort of the original version of the game. Your characters are a member of a group called the Hokuten Knights, and the there's another group of knights called the Nanten, which is just, it's literally, it's north and heavens or sky, and south and heavens or sky. And now, in my mind, Hokuten sounds pretty cool, but I think if you look at Final Fantasy Tactics, which is clearly trying to situate itself in sort of this western european fantasy tradition Mm -hmm. it's actually a little odd to me that you have this japanese word dropped in among all these other things so i think they made the correct decision in the localization to actually translate those terms and not transliterate them so hokuten becomes the order of the northern sky and their rival group is the order of the southern sky and that's much wordier Mm -hmm. but i think i just think it sounds so cool i wish i could have something Mm -hmm. more highfalutin to say about it but you know the word hokuten doesn't if you don't speak it Japanese, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It just, you know, maybe it sounds cool, or maybe it just sounds like a word. But it doesn't. It doesn't fit into the lorecology because you're like, why did they name themselves Hokuten? What does that mean to these people? What, what, what are those? What is the etymology of that word? Whereas now you can say, oh, okay, this must have something to do with their geographic position or how they fight. Or in these games, the zodiac is very important. All of the different stones, the zodiac stones, have to do with the zodiac. Your character's zodiac signs matter in battle in terms of these very sort of esoteric minutia gameplay mechanics. But it, it, it does suffuse the world. And so by suddenly having these two noble orders of knights named after the, 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 the heavenly sky, it, it fits into the war and the lorecology of the world. I love that. Um, <laughs> but I, I really think that's such a great example of that, too. Yeah, that is really, really interesting. I'm glad I'm glad they changed it because like you said, that having a random Japanese term among all this fantasy language is, is a little and I feel like it throws me off. I imagine in the nineties it probably wasn't a big deal because when you're a kid you don't really think about this kind of stuff. And maybe it's because we're both linguists, but now it's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I'm yeah. It makes more sense to iterate it into something that is actually understandable to the person playing the game. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting that we're both linguists, right? Because that that might be why. But I, I, you know, I wrote about this a couple of years ago, and I said when I was a kid, to me, I was like, yeah, Hokuten sounds awesome. That's cool. You know, I still to this day, my chocobo in Final Fantasy XIV's name is Hokuten. It is a word <laughs> that I love. And you know, I always, whenever I have to have a guild in a game, it's always it's always Hokuten because Order of the Northern Sky never fits in text limits. But uh, <laughs> but you know, it doesn't actually mean anything. So I think when you think about it, you know, maybe from like a quote unquote literary standpoint, it is building a world in a different way. Even if, you know, we liked the original term, I hope at least people who prefer the original term can appreciate what it's, what this new version is doing and why it's like that. And how, you know, to a Japanese reader, when they read Hokuten or Hokuten Kishidan, that that's conveying something similar that Order of the Northern Sky is to us. Mm-hmm. Us as English speakers, that is. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, there are, of course, there's objective fi- fixes that I, I don't think fans have ever had a problem with, you know, changing Rich to Lich. Uh, there's a dragon character who uses fire bracelet, ice bracelet in the original game. 
they correctly translated that to ice breath and fire breath in the new one. You know, there are there's lots of lines that are just kind of broken in Japanese or not in Japanese in the original localization mm. that they almost don't even function. Uh, I don't I don't want to take up the time of reading another long example, but there's a great conversation later in the game uh, between one of the ostensible villains, Vigruf and Gustav, where they're arguing about a revolution. And in the original version of the game is just like, why don't you give up? Your revolution can never succeed. You only see the present. You have to fix the basics. And you think you'll do that? I don't think so. And it's very, like, just kind of very literal. Whereas in the new one, it's sort of like, I can't remember the exact terms, but it's like, you've, you've, you see not beyond the end of your nose and you've taken leave of your senses. And what hope does your full revolution hold? It's, it's a lot of like, we're talking about the political realities of our world here versus like, that's bad. You shouldn't do it. No. <laughs> you know, so I, I think to sort of turn it all, pull it all together, I really just think I have always understood why people have a fondness for the original because I'll, mm-hmm. always remember, I'll always remember it. It's the first one I played and, you know, but I think, I hope maybe by listening to this, people who don't prefer the new text at least understand why Slattery and Reader did it the way they did. And what I think it adds to the world, because Ivalice is such a rich setting that, you know, they've gone back to that well several times. Final Fantasy XIV brought in Yasumi Matsuno to write an entire raid series that is sort of a functional sequel to Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and it's it's it's, oh, it's amazing. Because it, it's fan service, <laughs> but it's it's the kind of fan service that ser- stands on its own. If you've played the original, you'll be like, oh, hey, it's Ramza. But it's also fan service that is telling a story that functions on itself, because you know, oh, it refers to the events of Final Fantasy Tactics as these kind of legendary things, and you're dealing with these people who are playwrights putting on a play that is telling the story that in their world is the story of Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, and through that story, they're coming to new realizations about the world now, and how you know the art we have and the culture we have as we transmit it can change the way we view the past uh, it's great. I'm going to nerd out too hard again. I'm going to get this from it. Um, but yeah, and that's, you know, I, I think, I, again, I don't want to take too long on this, but when I think what's interesting is that it's definitely trying to mimic the style that Alex Smith and Joe Reader and Morgan Rushton and the other writers of Final Fantasy XII did in English, because that is, in my mind, a much more concise localization. There, It is less wordy. But I think also that comes into the, into play with you have characters like Vaughn, who is streetborn and he talks very commonly. You know, he 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 speaks with like sort of unaccented American style English. And you have a character like Balthier, who Balthier is from the Empire, so he has more of an accent, because they use they tend to use English accents, I think, in the Empire to indicate that they're from a different part of the world. And I think, as Wes mentioned, it's kind of just Star Wars, so oh the Empire speaks British because <laughs> they're bad. Uh, but we but we don't agree with that. But it, you know, that's, that's sort of what's happening there. But I think the big difference in the brevity of Final Fantasy XII, because I just love the concision of that script, it's another amazing script, is that that game is for voice. Most of that game, or at least the big story events of that game, are all voice acted. So it was the PS2 era, text limits were lower, and unlike Final Fantasy Tactics, it had to be written for voice. So I think, I've heard some people say uncharitably, oh, they were trying to copy Final Fantasy XII and did a bad job. First of all, Ouch. it's one of it's one of the same people who did it, so I, I don't think he's copying his own work. 
<laughs> but I think I think you also have you know it's important to see Final Fantasy twelve is written in a very different style. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think it's important to be aware of those differences. But also it's good to know why they're different. And I think it can help you understand the context of why they might have gone for something more verbose in Final mm-hmm. Fantasy Tactics, because it's also a different period in the history of the world. I think it's a good way to bring it back to the direct versus dynamic translation that you mentioned right at the beginning. You get a lot of fans online who say the Japanese says this, or the English should say exactly the same thing, or, well, if the English is awkward, then that means it's more in keeping with the original Japanese, because that's what the Japanese is. And I think people forget that Jap- the Japanese text to Japanese people does not sound awkward. It sounds, you know, perfectly fine. And directly translating it into something that sounds awkward or robotic is actually doing a disservice because you're taking away the tone and the intent, which is what dynamic translation does. As you mentioned, it focuses more on the tone and the feel while also conveying the original meaning overall, not the words. I love that you brought that up. That's my my partner also speaks Japanese and we talk about this a lot. I, I love that point in that this a, a devotion to the letter of the word is sometimes a disservice to the to the writing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and like you said, the the biggest point, and I, I I swear I've made this exact point. So is my partner to me in that Japanese doesn't sound awkward to Japanese speakers, and that's you know, and uh, you know, I won't, I'm not going to cast some sort of insidious intent to that but i do think maybe there's a lack of cultural understanding happening there where fans of anime and manga and certain kinds of media that tend to get translated more literally develop this sort of or like especially i think with uh, fan subs sometimes not fan fan subs can be very well written but i think sometimes there's an adherence to the syntax and literal wording of the japanese that can kind of train fans to think, oh, this is just what Japanese is. Characters just speak. As for pizza, I like it. Well, no, in Japanese, that's a that's that is tonally the same as me saying I like pizza. Yep. That's that's yeah. just how the language works. And so, and I, this that came up. I, I recently uh, a game I worked on recently came out, Ghostwire Tokyo, and we had a lot of dialogue from the character KK, whose background is a mystery to you at the beginning of the game, but. We knew it when we were localizing it, and we were working really closely with the developers to make sure we conveyed a certain personality with KK. And so sometimes there are lines where in Japanese he'll say something like "sa," and that's it. But they wanted us to say <laughs> they wanted us to say something. You know, the character will ask a question. Your protagonist will ask a question, and KK will just be like "sa." And but we would write something a little more elaborate in English that's very different from the Japanese because what they wanted to convey was that this character is a grizzled person with a, a sort of, you know, a, you know, a dark Raymond Chandler-esque detective, right? And that's, that's why sometimes you don't adhere to the letter of the word. And that's, that's a, that's a pretty strong, that's a pretty heavy example of localization, but there's a reason behind that. And it's because we're trying to convey who this character is, not just the words he's saying. And I think it's also important to be aware, in addition to what you mentioned about Japanese doesn't sound awkward to Japanese people, also we're not always, you know, there's sometimes you'll have six writers working on a line and each of them is changing it. So there isn't like there's some golden authorial <laughs> intent behind that line. Those writers are trying to get to something essential about a character, something mm-hmm. that they want to convey to you. And maybe not with every single individual line, but ultimately the way a character is written is as much about what those words are supposed to tell you as the player, as the person experiencing it, as 
as the individual words themselves. And that's mm-hmm. why sometimes you'll get, you know, a much more elaborate line or something that isn't what the Japanese said at all or is, you know, much shorter than the Japanese because the Japanese might be conveying it in a certain way or maybe they're trying to tell you, you know, Japanese, like like all media, has certain character tropes it can lean on that are sort of a function as a shorthand for the for the, the, the reader. You know, you have a, a if you have a, a brusque guy who goes, ora, 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 ora. Like, we kind of know, if, if, if you're familiar with Japanese media tropes, you kind of know what you're supposed to get from that character. Yeah. And we have those same tropes in English, but they're not the same tropes. They don't mm-hmm. execute the same way. So we're not going to literally translate a guy going, ora, 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 even though, you know, anime manga fans, they know what an ora, ora, ora is. It's, you know, it's it's like the Desmono type of, of writing for like the the, the fancy lady. And (laughs) so our objective in writing those lines a little differently and like in Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy XII and a lot of the best localizations is we want to convey to you who those people are and something about them, not just the words they're saying. And that's Mm -hmm. a conversation that happens with the original authors. And I emphasize authors, plural, of the text because none of these texts are written in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. I mean, even... Western novels, Western nonfiction, anything in English, anything in any language tends to have editors, multiple test readers, possibly even multiple authors, like you said. You have, you always have people, multiple people working on the same text. So it makes sense to then do the same thing with translation. And it's, it's, like you said, it's never in a vacuum. I think you're, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that happens even, you know, if you think, for example, like a Harugi Murakami novel, Murakami knows, uh, I think he knows all of his English translators and has said, I trust them to change my text where it, where it conveys what I want to convey. And that's, A, that's an incredible level of trust and, you know, indicative of a relationship. But, you know, Murakami has editors, publisher has editors. That lo- that translated text is going to be edited by, you know, an editor at the publisher, not just the English translator. And... I think it's just important to realize that so much of these works are not the product of one singular, infallible, hive author mind (laughs) that knows exactly what they want in exactly that moment and exactly how they want to convey it. And that's, you know, we could go, we could bring up examples for this all day and I don't want to, I don't want to drag things out. (laughs) I I think it's such an interesting discussion, but I do think it, it, it definitely is all germane to Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions in that. This is a very different approach to it, and I think everyone should feel comfortable in whichever version they love the most. I know which one I do, and I respect the the opinions, but I hope at least people can have an appreciation of the really great work that is done in War of the Lions, even if it's not their personally preferred work version of the work. So one final question uh, as we wrap up. How has this localization impacted your own work? <laughs> Incalculably. <laughs> um <laughs> I guess I'll start with a joke, which is that my wife says she can always tell when I wrote something. Um, <laughs> That's good. She, and and I mean, I can tell when she wrote something. She's a wonderful writer. I'm going to brag about her. But um, she, it, I think a lot of translators from our generation have said like, oh, I was very inspired by Final Fantasy XII or Alex Smith or Vagrant Story or Brave Story, the novel. And I, I think I certainly was. I, I love that style of writing. But that style of writing is... Alex Smith is inspired by the books he's read and the media he's consumed. And so I think it's so Final Fantasy Tactics was for me one of the formative works that taught me the kind of writing style that I like in certain certain settings. You know, Final Fantasy 12 and Tactics writing style is not right for every project. You wouldn't want 
a character and persona to talk with the tone of characters in Final Fantasy XII. It's just not. <laughs> it doesn't. It's a setting mismatch. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so important to realize that the creators that we love have media and art that inspired them. And Final Fantasy Tactics sort of was the thing that both inspired me and taught me about this this importance of influences. And so whenever I approach a work now, um, you know, I did this on Ghostwire, I always love to ask, hey, what was the writer inspired by? Or what are the developers interested in? What kind of movies did, did they want to channel? And, I, you know, when I, when I did this for Ghostwire, they, you know, they told me influences. And they sort of, they said, like, here's a song that conveys the same emotion we want to convey. Or here's a movie with dialogue that we want to convey the same kind of dialogue. And I, so to me, Final Fantasy Tactics started me on that path of saying, why are these things written the way they're written? What are they pulling from? What, what sort of cultural consciousness are we wanting to draw from when we start writing this project? You know, Fantasy Star Online 2, what is this inspired by? You know, what is this like space sci-fi trying to emotionally and tonally and contextually elicit in the reader? And so I, I think, you know, without Final Fantasy Tactics, I might not even be a translator. But with it, looking at those two texts, I've compared them so much and I've, 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 I love them both very much, the two versions of the game. And they just, everything I go into now, I'm questioning not just... What is the meaning of these words, but also what's the meaning behind the meaning of these words? Who are these people? What is the context here? Is this a, a static item description in a menu, or are all the item descriptions written from the perspective of the mascot character you have who adds neon to the end of every sentence and looks like a kitty? <laughs> you know, am I going to translate, you know, this is a potion, it heals you, or this is a potion, it heals me, you know, or, or even, you know, something perhaps less <laughs> blunt and in your face than a, than a terrible cat pun. <laughs> but that's that's definitely where how it has influenced me, and it, it has made me, even outside of video games and outside of my work, it's just made me really appreciate an attention to syntax and wording and just the beauty of how you can convey so much about a world and its characters from how things are said, not just what is said. Mm-hmm. That is a really, 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 really good point. I didn't even think about asking people what inspired you to write this. I guess it helps when you when you're in direct contact with the original writers. Yeah, and you know, sometimes they say nothing really, or I don't know. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you get lucky. But it's always you know, it's it's interesting to think about. It is. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, where can people find you online? You can find me online at my website sjmtaelus dot com. That's my professional portfolio website with a blog that I don't update enough. Please don't judge me. And <laughs> Uh, right now, my Twitter is closed because I have decided that usually when a major new game comes out, I'm going to close my Twitter for a little while. But that is also uh, S-J-M-T-A-E-L-U-S, and I'll be, it'll be open again soon. So please come find me, and I would love to talk about localization. And if you'll allow me a brief, not a plug, but uh, it's really important to me that I sort of put the ladder down behind me in this industry. And I, you know, I had so many people who were so kind to me, including yourself, Jen. I learned a lot from you early on. I think maybe we were learning at I the think same I was time. Learning, but yeah, I was learning a lot from you as well. So. Well, but I, but that's that's it's what I love about this whole field. You know, there are a lot of things in the gaming industry that are frustrating and terrible, but there are also you know these things that are like why I'm here. And anyways, mm-hmm. the point I wanted to make is that students of translation and localization. Um, Please feel free to send me an email if you want to talk about, you know, your Japanese or how to get into this field. 
I often direct them to your blog, Jen. So actually, I always <laughs> do that uh, because it's full of wonderful resources. And I just I, I would really like to have people know that I am available to discuss this work. I love to do it, and I would love to have more people doing it, more diverse people doing it. Uh, I'm I'm very fortunate in the position I'm in, and I would love to share that with more people if I can. Great, fantastic. I'll put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming along. Thank you for listening to Translation Chat. I'm Jennifer O'Donnell, and you can find me on Twitter at GenTranslations or my website, j-entranslations.com. The Translation Chat theme was composed by Alex Valles, and the logo was designed by Kate Soldevilla. Links to all of these can be found in the show notes. Catch you next time.